0: Hello, my friend. Welcome to the DDP for the 23rd day of May. I'm your host, Paul White. It's a Monday. Uh, It's unusual for us to have our monthly meeting on a Monday, but we do. In Chapin, South Carolina, tonight, we will be meeting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time with our group from Chapin. That's in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Uh, We meet with them each week, or I'm sorry, each month. They meet every Sunday and I record a video for that group to sort of facilitate their Bible study and we are starting a brand new series with them where we walk through my second book Between the Pieces, What Really Happened at the Cross. We did over a year of walking through my first book, Revelation to Transformation. We're going to make that available for everyone to um, to sign up for uh, to, to walk through that soon. I'll let you know about that. That'll happen this summer. I've got a few things happening along with the book coming out, but we're going to do this walkthrough in the Columbia, South Carolina area via video. So if you're in that area, want to get in on that, contact us here at the ministry info at com, and we can get you the information that you need to be a part of that live and in person in the, South Car- in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Okay, today we begin our journey into Paul's third chapter in first Timothy, the first seven verses are going to be the qualifications of bishops and then verses eight through 13 are going to be the qualifications of deacons and then a few verses on the faith, on the religion, uh, sort of a mystery of godliness portion. So I think, you know, as in the past, we've kind of went verse by verse, um, Timothy has these moments where, as you saw us yesterday, we covered a a chunk of verses. He has these moments where you can easily do all of these in one podcast unless you're really wanting to break down a real examination of bishops and deacons. I'm not wanting to do that. So what we will do is today, let's deal with the first seven verses. And to start with, let's read it. The saying is sure, whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Now, a bishop must be above reproach, married only once temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Let's, I know there's some translation stuff in there we got to get to, and we're going to do that. Paul has turned his focus to the subject of leadership in the church, and he's going to start here with bishops, also known as overseers. Uh, and this is a, a, a word that gets used interchangeably in the New Testament with the word elder. Acts 20 will deal with elders. Now, I know the church has delineated between say an elder and a bishop and there is cause for that but in New Testament terminology it's a word that can often get bandied about um, interchangeably the second part's going to be deacons uh, there's just a brief digression on women and then we get into the sort of the mystery of the faith and these are appalling focus on personal qualities those who he the kind of things he wants to see of people that serve in these positions he doesn't really talk about what they do in this passage. He just talks about who they are. And so it tells me that his concern is less about what the overseer or the bishop is actually doing in overseeing the churches, but he really wants to install the right people to do it. And I think this contextually has to do with that first chapter where false teachers have made their way in. And it seems to me that Paul's concern is that if we had people who were of higher moral character, we might not be running into some of the things that we have. You could make the argument that Paul kind of thinks that the bad doctrine might be stemming from bad lives and that if they were if they were of higher character, we might have a different sort of doctrine. Again, I know I'm speculating, and that's what we do. What do we know? We're just walking through what we're given. Um, and... I think maybe those false teachers have something to do with why Paul goes into this at all. If you couple this with, say, some things Paul says in like uh, Philippians, the overseer is really in charge with the general care of the church, uh, and that's why we call them elders in some other passages. Um So let's get into some of the translation stuff. Some of your translations are going to say that they need to be without sin. You'll notice the translation I read didn't say that. Um, It says above reproach. I think that's a little better because if you said that they had to be without sin, well, everyone's going to get disqualified at some point. But above reproach or above scandalous reproach seems to be reachable. I mean, we don't have to walk in scandal. And it seems that Paul wants overseers or bishops or elders who have a good standing among non-Christians, not just elders that have a good standing among Christians. And I don't think he means those who are sort of at the top of the social hierarchy, but those who are without reproach. He also thinks that you should be able to run your own house with dignity. He asks that famous question, if you can't govern your own house, how are you going to take care of God's assembly? It's one that probably ought to be asked. Take a look at the family. If that unit is dysfunctional, um, what does it say about our leadership in the church? And then I like the word heart uses, um, not uh, a neophyte. Some of the translations say not a recent convert, but not someone new. Um, I would even say we got to be careful with them being young. I pastored young and it was not my wisest move. And I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. There's a part of me that thinks it's probably best if you didn't try this to use about 40. Um, I know that's probably unrealistic, um, particularly in a society where that tracks younger and younger and younger in positions of authority. And so culturally, it's expected to have younger people. But I still think the neophyte's a good way to say it, that we wouldn't be someone who's brand new to the faith. Because it seems to be that Paul thinks if we did... And you were successful, you might fall into the, the snare, what, what is called the snare of the devil or the snare of the slanderer, the snare of the accuser. Because if you are successful, if things happen, you'll be what he called puffed up with conceit and fall into that condemnation of the devil. Take that for what it's worth. Do with it what you need. This is the passage where you can find at least the qualities and characteristics of what you might be looking for in a bishop or an elder or a pastor, someone who's going to oversee the church. And I do know there should be theological tests because you don't want just anyone in their theology, but maybe we ought to pay as much attention to the... Lives as we do the theology, the life seems to have um, a great importance and it's often overlooked at the expense of good theology. We'll go, well, boy, he's such a powerful speaker. Um, But then the personal life's off. That's why we're seeing the curtain pull back on scandal. You couldn't tell this stuff was going on just from the sermons. But then there's this stuff going on. And that seemed vital in Paul's day. I think it's vital in ours as well. All right, we go on into the next passage which is deacons tomorrow. See you then. God bless.